0: The following message is brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of the Ambassador Baptist Church and Pastor Joshua Ermler. Welcome here to Connection Sunday at Ambassador Baptist Church. So glad to have each and every one of you in the service with us today. Uh, As was mentioned at the beginning, this is very different for us. We've structured the auditorium a little differently. We have the intent and purpose and desire to see many of us just connect, doing life together through a season of connection. And we're going to take some time today to explain to you what our connection groups are, how you can get involved, and what they mean to you specifically. So, if you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you to turn to 1 John chapter number 1 and that's going to be our text here today. 1 John chapter number 1 is where we'll be studying this morning. Uh, As many of you know, the last couple of weeks I've had the opportunity of being on vacation and uh, two weeks ago... Uh, The Lord just brought my heart to 1 John chapter number 1, and I was reading it in my devotional quiet time with the Lord, and I just, I literally, I could not get away from it. And so, uh, I spent the morning just reading this chapter, and then the next day, I I came back to this chapter again, and I was reading it some more, and, and literally a couple days turned into a week, and for an entire week, my heart and my mind and my life were just totally obsessed and saturated uh, with this chapter of the Bible. And and I, I didn't even really realize it was going to connect uh, to this morning uh, until we started kind of putting the pieces together. Uh, but I, I want to speak on this subject of, of true fellowship. And we're going to be reading from 1 John chapter number 1. I'm going to read verse number 1, and then we're going to read verse number 3, and verse number 4, and then we'll unpack uh, the rest of the ideas as we move through the message here this morning. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. If you are physically able, I'd like to invite you to stand here as we read from the Word of God today, and I hope that this will be a help to you as we study the Word of God. Inside your worship guide service program there, there is an outline that you can use to follow along through the Bible study. I hope it will be a help to you as we just kind of take some time unpacking uh, some really deep truths here from the Word of God in 1 John chapter number 1. Uh, Real quickly, just to give you some background so you know how to read through this text here. Uh, We see this was written by the Apostle John. And John often refers to Jesus Christ as the Word. You'll find that in 1 John chapter number 1, uh, verses 1, verses number 14. The Bible says, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We beheld his glory. And so when John refers to the Word, he's referring to uh, the deity. He's referring to the person of Jesus Christ. So let's begin reading. I'll begin reading in verse number 1. I'll skip down to verse number 3, and then we'll read 4 and move on our way. The word of God says in 1st John chapter number 1 and verse 1, that which was from the beginning which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled of the word of life. What's John talking about? He's saying Jesus came. God in the flesh came. He's saying we heard him teach. We saw his miracles with our eyes. We looked upon his humanity, his deity. He says our hands have touched him. We experienced Jesus. Notice what it says in verse 3. That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you. That ye also may have fellowship with So John comes along and says, now we're going to talk about this Jesus. I want to declare him unto you. I want to declare what I've seen. And I want to declare what I've touched. And I want to declare what I've experienced. John, why do you want this? He says, because I want to have fellowship. I want there to be unity among us. He goes on to say, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. Where where does our fellowship come from? How do we have fellowship and unity with each other? It comes because of the relationship that we have with God and His Son, Jesus Christ. Verse 4, and these things write we unto you. We're going we're to write unto you about Jesus. We're going to write unto you about the relationship that you can have with God, your Father. We're going to write unto you what Jesus Christ has done. We're going to help you experience Him. Why? Notice this, that your joy may be full this this speaks of being complete that your joy would literally be overflowing how'd you like to enjoy that how would you like to experience that overwhelming joy in your heart and in your life and and that is what we're going to speak of here Today, Let's have a word of prayer as we kind of unpack this idea of true, deep fellowship. Shall we pray? Dear Gracious and Heavenly Father, God, we come before you in a spirit of worship, recognizing that the fellowship that we have with each other is made possible because of of the relationship that we have with you through your Son, Jesus Christ. And Lord, we thank you. For the salvation that was freely offered to us. We thank you for the abundant life that you give us. That we can experience. That we can enjoy. Because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross nearly 2,000 years ago. And making it possible for us to have a relationship with you once again. I pray that you would help each and every one of us this morning. Understand what it really means to be in fellowship. To be in unity one with another. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. And you may be seated. As I said a moment ago, uh, I was on vacation and and so I had to fly out to the Midwest and my family went out a few days early so they could spend some time with grandma and grandpa out there on the farm. And so my wife and my kids jumped on a plane a few days earlier and then I was going to catch up with them a little bit later and and we were going to enjoy some family time, making some memories and things. And so one Monday morning I jumped onto a plane and I made my trip from Fresno over to Denver and I was there on a layover in Denver. Denver and I was just sitting around and of course when you're in an airport, how, how many of you have been to the Denver airport? I mean it's this massive huge airport, uh, when you're flying into it it looks like a giant car, like a carnival or something because it's got those it's just the weird structure of it and everything like a circus tent uh, on a magnificent level and it's just huge, massive and I'm walking through the airport trying to figure out where to go and it's just the one of the biggest airports I've ever been to and, and I'm sitting there and of course they have all the restaurants and everything's hustling, bustling and just busy and, and we're sitting there waiting Waiting for the plane and it was a little bit delayed. But finally they said, "All right, let's get on." And we all got onto the planes and we're sitting there re- ready to go and waiting to taxi. And and uh, all of a sudden, kind of in a kind of a little nervous, the the pilot you don't you're not used to seeing the pilot come out and address the plane. And and, and almost a little, <laughs> a little nervously jumps out and he says, "We have got to get off this plane right now. Uh, a tornado has touched down at the airport and we've got to go seek shelter." And, and sure enough, outside the window of the plane, there was a tornado coming for the airport. And everybody's, man, they're rushing back toward the terminal. We walk into the terminal and it is like an absolute ghost town in the Denver airport. Like a a minute earlier I'd walked out. It was hustling, bustling, people everywhere. I walk back into this massive airport and there's not a soul inside. I'm thinking, they've left us to die. What is going on here? I'm running through. Starbucks is closed down. The magazine stores are shut down. Everybody's gone. And we're running through the airport and uh, the way it works is there's couple terminals and they're connected by these huge glass walkways. I don't know if you've been through these things before and there's sort of glass on one side, glass on the other side for hundreds of yards and stuff and so I'm moving through this thing. I get about halfway through this uh, kind of uh, glass walkway from one terminal to the other and all of a sudden over the loudspeaker, I hear er, er, er," and this voice comes on. A uh, tornado has just been sighted at the Denver airport. Please seek shelter immediately and I'm like this is the worst possible place I could be as this tornado is about to hit I'm going to have glass shards flying everywhere this is not going to be good and uh, I'm thinking where exactly is shelter and I, I turn a corner and at the Denver airport, maybe you've seen this before, their tornado shelters are the bathrooms. And I guess they build the bathrooms in such a way to keep the, you know, that's, that's just where they go. And so literally the entire, everybody in the Denver airports were crammed into bathroom stalls across it. And we're in there, I mean, we're just, it's tight and close. And, and every about probably five minutes, that alarm would go off again, <laughs> Tornado getting closer. Seek shelter. And I'm like, what? This is crazy. This is not how it was supposed to end, you know? Me crammed in a bathroom with a bunch of strangers, you know, as a tornado comes through and gets ready to take our life. And so I, I start, I pull out my, you know, my cell phone. I think, you know, at least I've got to send my wife a text, you know, if, it, if it's going to end this way. And so I send her a text and I tell her what's going on. And, and no joke, this is a word for word, this is her response after telling her that a tornado is about to destroy my life. She writes back in capital letters, Yikes! Yikes. All right. This this is she says, "I hope you're not delayed." I immediately got my cell phone out. I wrote back, "Yikes. I hope I don't die." <laughs> we got through there. I'm in this, I'm in these bathroom stalls. Everybody's crowding around. People are kind of nervous and all this and we're just, we're kind of there. And I I was sitting about that and I was thinking about it and and as I'm standing there in this bathroom, thank the Lord, after about 35 minutes, the tornado passed. We were able to get going. The the ominous clouds were still there and as as we took off a little bit later, I thought to myself, "I, I hope a tornado doesn't decide to touch down as we're, you know, taking off. But we were able to make it through and thank the Lord we're there. But I was thinking about just being in those bathrooms crammed in. Guys, ladies, all of us just kind of awkwardly crammed into these restrooms. And I, 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 I thought of something, you know, while we in that restroom, me and all these strangers, while we were in proximity to each other, we weren't in unity. We weren't in fellowship. We were just in proximity. We were just close to each other. And in much the same way, it is possible for churches be in proximity with each other, to be sitting really close. You think, I don't really like the way the chairs are set up today. It's a little awkward. It's a a little close, a little uncomfortable. It's possible for us to be in proximity to each other, to be close, but not to be in unity, to be in fellowship. So what does it mean to be the church rather than just being a crowd of people who enjoy kind of religious information. What, what's the difference? In the Greek, when the word here, fellowship, is used, it's a Greek word called koinonia. It's the word fellowship in the Greek. And koinonia is a much, it's, it's really a beautiful word that speaks of a deep, noble, beautiful connection that believers can experience in Christ. Now, I'll say this. While simple camaraderie is important, a lot of you experience camaraderie with your coworkers. Uh, some of you may, might be in a, in a league, a sports league, and there might be some camaraderie. There might be some of you who enjoy hobbies with other people and and you get together to to participate in those hobbies and and there is a little bit of, you you know, camaraderie there. While simple camaraderie is important and a blessing, it is also extremely fragile. As the church, we need something stronger and more sturdy than just simple camaraderie. We need to experience deep koinonia fellowship that is made possible by the person of Jesus Christ. And today we're going to talk about the difference between camaraderie we experience because we're on the same sports team or because we have something in common with somebody else or because we're of the same uh, national background, whatever the case may be. What's the difference between just camaraderie and deep spiritual? spiritual koinonia and how do we develop that and how do we cultivate that and that's really what we're going to zone in on a little bit today and i want to focus on three realities of authentic biblical fellowship that this passage is going to kind of help us understand three realities of authentic biblical fellowship all right so here in this passage john he says here i have seen jesus verse one i've spent time listening to him I've seen him do his miracles. This thing is real. This thing, he, is, he is the real deal. I've listened to him. I've touched him. And now I want to declare him unto you. Why? So that, we, so that you, that ye may have fellowship with us. He says, I want to tell you about Jesus because I want to experience koinonia with you. He's not just talking about just a kind of a surface fellowship, not just kind of a, a, a general camaraderie. He says, I want to experience deep koinonia. So I'm going to tell you about Jesus, not about the baseball team. Not, we're not going to find where our common ground politically is. We're not just going to talk about the weather. That might produce some camaraderie, but we need something deeper. Camaraderie can be fragile, camaraderie can break. But deep koinonia, oh, it's sturdy and it's strong. And we can we can experience something beautiful from it. And so the implication of this verse here is number one, first thought this morning, is deep relational fellowship is impossible without Jesus Christ. Deep relational fellowship is impossible without Jesus. Jesus Christ you might be able to experience some surface relationships you might be able to manage some interpersonal connections with other people you you might be able to develop some amount of camaraderie without Jesus because you're on a sports team or you work with somebody or you have something in common with somebody else and that might develop some camaraderie and that's a blessing from the Lord it's not a bad thing but as Christians as the church we need something much deeper we need something much Stronger. We need something that will handle the storms of life and and the things that will come against us. We need koinonia. And I want to say to you that this deep relational koinonia, this deep relational fellowship is impossible without Jesus Christ. You say, why is that? They're going to put this on the screens. Due to my sin nature, my selfishness, my pride, my anger, my judgmental attitudes, and my jealousy they all sabotage my relationships to some degree because I'm a sinful, broken human being. Those things that infect and infest my life... They corrode my relationships, my ability to have camaraderie. Furthermore, my insecurities, my fears, my codependency issues all undermine my interpersonal connections. And this is why deep relational fellowship in Koinonia is impossible without Jesus Christ. Because try as we may to develop camaraderie and interpersonal connections. The reality is that who I am at my core, the brokenness of who I am sabotages every single one of my relationships. I need something more in my marriage than just camaraderie. I need something more in my interpersonal relationships with people in my church than just camaraderie. It's a blessing. It's a good thing. It's not bad, but it's a little fragile. We need something more sturdy. We need something from God to bond our relationship with our spouses, to bond our relationship with children and with grandchildren and with fellow children church people camaraderie is good but camaraderie is not enough we need to experience koinonia and koinonia is impossible without Jesus let me just say it this way and I know this is blunt but without Christ I am relationally handicapped because of this without Christ you and I are relationally handicapped We're already behind. We can't experience deep koinonia without Jesus Christ. Only as we... uh, The Bible says this in 1 John chapter number 1 verse 7. But as we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. We could say it this way. Only as we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we can have fellowship one with another. That is what makes our fellowship one with another possible as our relationship with Christ is what it needs to be. How many of you, um, how many of you have a friend... That is just outgoing. They're like what some people re- would refer to as just a, a people person and stuff like that. It just seems like they're like relational bridge builders. I don't, any of you have friends like that? They're super outgoing, super fun, always trying to connect different people. I've had some friends like that kind of throughout my history. When I was a teenager, I had a friend by the name of Josh who was a lot like this. And just super outgoing, a whole lot of fun, just kind of looking for opportunities to connect different people. And just had that effervescent type of spirit about him. Always looking to connect people with other folks. In fact, to this day, uh, some of my best friends in the world, I met through my relationship with Josh. And just he just was a relational bridge builder. In fact, last week we had Andrew Reed, Pastor Andrew Reed preach here. I met Andrew through Josh. Josh introduced me to Andrew and that's how we connected. And a lot, In fact, a lot of my relationships and the people I know I met through Josh. He's just one of those types of people. And and he was one of these that was always looking to kind of bring people together. And if he had a friend and and he wanted you to meet him, he'd he'd, he'd introduce you. And he just had no problems about it. In fact, to this day, literally, like a few months ago, I was around with him. He says, you got to meet this pastor. He'd love him. You guys would get along real well. And just to this day, he's constantly building these bridges of relationships. And I remember as we we were younger and, uh, you know, when things maybe got a little awkward. You know, when you're meeting somebody for the first time, he'd know enough about you and know enough about that person and, and then he'd bring something up you like doing this don't you and and he he'd use what he knew to, to bridge bi- uh, build relationships and bridge people together and, and even at times I mean there were seasons where maybe there were issues between some different people and you were upset at somebody or maybe they were upset with you and he was also the type of friend that was kind of a leader and he'd come around he'd put his arm around you and he'd say hey we need to go talk to this guy we can't we gotta we got work this out we got to deal with this thing and, and he in a spirit that only he could would kind of lead us to, to work things out and to, to connect us relationally in a way that maybe we naturally wouldn't have done without that leadership. And and I want to say, man, he was a great friend to have relationally and emotionally and things. And, and on a much grander scale, on a much bigger scale, I want to say that is exactly the type of friend that you have in Jesus. Uh, You know, when you get in these moments where things are a little awkward, Jesus knows exactly how to just bring stuff together. And when maybe that person has an issue with you or you have an issue with that person, the Spirit of God the Spirit of Christ will lead you to say, let's, let's work this thing out. Let's talk about it. Let's, let's not run from the situation. Let's not run from the difficulty. Let's, let's engage this thing head on. And, and Jesus, as a, as a great friend, will lead us into unity and will lead us into koinonia in, in that way. And I want to say deep relational koinonia, deep relational fellowship is impossible. Without a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Which brings us to our next point, And that is simply this. Fellowship with one another really begins with God. See we can talk about fellowship with one another. I can talk about my relationship with you. And you can talk about your relationship with me. But if we were to be entirely honest. Our relationship, our fellowship with one another. Really begins with our relationship with God. Notice what the Bible says here says in verse number 3, That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you, that ye also may have fellowship with us. So we see fellowship with one another really begins with God. First John chapter number 4, cha- verse number 7 says it this way, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. You see, fellowship with one another really begins with God. Can I remind you of something? God adores you. God longs for fellowship with you. You say, if you knew my past, if you knew what I had done, if you knew what I have been, you wouldn't say that. And I want to say to you, I may not know everything about you, and and those around us may not know everything about you, but I I want to make something very clear this morning, and that is this. You have a God in heaven that loves you. He adores you. He pursues you because He desires relationship and fellowship with you. He cares for you. In fact, He cares so much for you, He sacrificed that which was most, most precious to him in order to secure fellowship and relationship with you. You say, what did he sacrifice? He sacrificed his very son, Jesus, for you. And even when you turn your back on his fellowship, he'll never turn his back on you. And even when you run from his fellowship, he'll never run from that relationship with you. And even when we at times try to abandon his presence, he'll never abandon you. He loves you. He cares for you. And in that reality, we're secure. I'm going to put this on the screen, and I hope this sinks in extremely deep. God alone can fully satisfy all my relational needs for affection, adoration, affirmation, acceptance, acknowledgement, and in Christ, ultimate approval. It is in Christ that satisfies that. I know that at times we look for a lot of these things in our relationship with a spouse. And, and if we're not careful, sometimes we'll look for these things in our relationship with our children, and our relationship with our parents. And, and though the grace of God can flow through individuals and through spouses and through children, ultimately it is God and God alone that deeply satisfies. It is God and God alone that satisfies the deepest need for that affection. For that adoration, for acceptance and acknowledgement. Some of you have seen the illustration before. I probably should have drawn it for you, but I'm not a very good artist. (laughs) But imagine a triangle on the screens. And imagine at the base of that triangle, two individuals, you and another person. A person that you would desire koinonia with. A person you would desire relationship with. A person you would desire connection with. The problem is this. No matter how hard we work at developing koinonia with that other individual, there are barriers at the base of that triangle that will ultimately sabotage and keep those relationships from experiencing ultimate koinonia. We live in a broken world. Its systems are broken and it's, it's flawed to a very base degree. It's cursed. And, and just the world system works against deep koinonia. And, and we can experience some amount of camaraderie in this world. But, but deep koinonia eludes us. The world's against us. Like we talked about a moment ago, our own flesh works against us. Like Paul said, the things that I would not, that I do. <laughs> Things I don't want to do. And he says, Oh, wretched man that I am. He says, Even my own flesh works against this relationship. And so, the more you try to connect in a koinonia, deep, strong, sturdy fashion, you've got the world barrier against you. You've got the flesh barrier against you. And if that ain't enough, whether you want to believe it or not, you have an enemy. And this enemy seeks to destroy, and this enemy seeks to divide. And this enemy seeks to discourage any God-ordained relationships that you have in your life. And so if it's a God-ordained relationship of marriage, he wants to destroy it. And if it's a God-ordained relationship with your children, he wants to break it to pieces. And if it's a God-ordained relationship with church members that you are seeking quite with, he will do everything in his power to try to destroy and to break and to hurt those deepest, most important relationships because that is what the enemy does. And so try as we may to come together in koinonia the world the flesh and the devil and we find that the attempts for koinonia deep spiritual fellowship eludes us every time and we find it futile so what can we do the bible says relationship with christ is possible through his spirit and his son jesus christ imagine once again going back to the triangle While we make, try to connect at the base, there's too much in this world that fights against deep koinonia. But as two individuals decide by the grace of God and His Spirit working in us that we are going to move closer to Christ, what begins to happen as two individuals move closer and closer, not trying to get closer to each other because that's futile, but trying to move closer to Christ and allowing Christ by His grace to draw them into unity with Him. What happens as a byproduct, what happens almost by accident, Accident as those two people draw nigh to Christ, they begin to draw nigh to each other, and in Christ, there is koinonia. In Christ, you can experience this deep, fruitful, strong, resilient fellowship that can weather the storms of time. That can weather the difficult circumstances that the world, the flesh, and the devil might throw against us. And as we go to Christ, we see that fellowship, koinonia, really with one another begins with Jesus. Let's move on. Notice verse 4. And these things write we unto you. And John says, I'm going to tell you about Jesus. Jesus. I'm going to tell you about a relationship that you can have with him because of what he did on the cross for you. I'm going to tell you because I desire a relationship with you. I desire fellowship with you. And I understand that this deep koinonia fellowship is impossible without Jesus. You need Jesus. I need Jesus to experience this thing. And without him, we've got no hope. We might be able to conjure up some amount of camaraderie. We might be able to conjure up some amount of relational connection, but anything deep and anything sturdy, anything resilient enough to weather the storms of life is only possible. In a personal, dynamic relationship with Jesus. A God that loves you regardless of what you do. A God that cares for you regardless of how you live. A God who will never leave you and never forsake you no matter what. It is our relationship with Him that gives us the emotional stability to be able to have any type of real deep relationship with anybody else in this world. Which brings us to our last thought and that is this. Koinonia fellowship brings fullness of joy. Notice what it says. These things write we unto you. That your joy may be full. Fellowship. Koinonia. Is used by God's grace to usher in joy. These things write we unto you. That your joy might be full. It is this of fellowship with God and other believers that the Lord uses to bring incredible joy into our lives. Without this koinonia fellowship, there is no chance to experience joy to its absolute fullness. God uses our connection to him, our koinonia relationship with God through his son Jesus Christ that then spawns connection and fellowship with other believers in Christ to radiate a joy within us that is impossible without that relationship with him. Joy is impossible without Jesus. You, you can look for happiness in buying bigger homes. You can look for happiness in a relationship with that girl or with that guy. You can look for happiness in buying the next big thing or moving to the next cool place. But at the end of the day, it is Jesus and Jesus alone. And that relationship that you can experience with him that has the potential to bring ultimate Joy. You say, how does this work? Okay, I'm going I'm to bring this all home right now. And, and I, I hope you'll think through this because you, if you, you know, I know we're kind of a few minutes into the sermon and it's easy to start drifting. If you get nothing else, I want you to get this because this is, we're going to really talk about how this really starts to manifest. How does this work? Okay, I'm gonna, we're going to throw this on the screen. Because I am emotionally secure in Christ. Let's pause right there for just a moment. Right up this way. Listen, now. In Christ, you can be secure because you have everything you need in Christ. You have all the affection. You have all the attention. You have the affirmation and the approval. You have it because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross. Because I'm emotionally secure in Christ, I no longer have to put pressure on those around me to provide perfect unconditional love towards me to be emotionally stable. That is because I'm experiencing everything I need in Christ, because my relationship is so vibrant and so alive and so real and so Enriching and so fulfilling, I no longer have to put pressure on a spouse to give me unconditional love because I already got it. I no longer have to demand that my adult children act a certain way for me to be emotionally stable because I already have all the affirmation I need in Jesus. I don't need to get it from my children. I don't need my boss to behave exactly as I expect because I already have acceptance in him. My heart and soul and mind is so full of his grace and so full of his affirmation and so full of his glorious love and so full of his majesty that it just overflows in my life and I no longer live to put pressure on those around me. I don't need something from them to be emotionally stable. Because everything I need, I'm already having Christ. Colossians says, I am complete in Him. Hallelujah. I'm telling you why. You're complete in Him. All the affirmation, all the love, all the approval, all the acceptance, all that you need, you already have available to you in your relationship with God. You're complete. And because you're complete, as you bask in that completeness and you revel in the realities of who God declares you to be, you're free. You're free to no longer have to put pressure on this person or those people to behave, to meet up to your standards in order to be emotionally stable because your emotional stability now is found in your relationship with Christ. Now you're liberated. You're free not to put pressure on people, but to simply love and serve them right where they're at. You're free. You're free because your abiding, enriching, resilient relationship with Christ feeds your soul on a level that nothing else can. And you're free to serve. You're free to give. You're free to love. If you find it hard to f- be free to love and give, the reminder is that we need to abide in Christ that much more. Can I say this? I no longer have to be treated fairly to be emotionally stable. I don't need Jenny to treat me the way I expect to be emotionally stable. I can be emotionally stable because of who I am in Christ and because of what he does for me. I no longer have to demand my rights to everyone around me to be emotionally stable. Because I know that everything I ultimately will need, Jesus has already promised to provide I, I no longer have to prove my self worth in every personal interaction I get in. I don't always have to talk myself up and build myself up I don't have to, I don't have to convince everybody of my self worth And I don't have to walk around with a chip on my shoulder trying to convince everybody that I'm really something because my self worth has already been fully validated at the cross of Calvary and he says I'm enough and he says you're enough That's the glorious news of the gospel. That he in his grace and his love basks and pours that unconditional love upon you so that your soul and your heart and your emotions can be so full in that you are now liberated and free to serve, to give, and to love. No longer do you have to run away from circumstances. No longer do you have to run away from conflict because you are emotionally stable. You have the love. You have what you need to serve, to give, to give to honor even when that person doesn't deserve it because you have what you need in this relationship. I no longer have to put pressure on people to behave exactly as I please. The church member sitting down the row doesn't have to behave just like I think they should behave in order for me to be emotionally stable staff member doesn't have to do it exactly the way I think they should do it in order for me to contain my composure (laughs) my composure is anchored in the identity that Christ gave me at the cross and I'm free now I'm free to walk into a situation and address somebody I don't agree with with love and humility and compassion because I'm not trying to get and suck something out of this relationship anymore. I don't need anything from this relationship. Everything I need, everything I think I need from a spouse or I think I need from a child or I think I need, I actually can find in my relationship with God. Now, will God use a spouse and a child and a church member to be conduits of His grace? Yes! And what a wonderful reality that is, is when we surrender and all of a sudden church members and spouses and children become conduits of God's grace toward us. That's a wonderful thing. But even if God doesn't choose to use that person as a conduit, he's still in some way provided what you need. Even if you think, I think it should be that person to provide my stability, and it should be that person that God uses to provide grace, he might choose to use that person. But in his sovereignty, he might not. But he promises to provide. And you can trust him. I no longer have to set unrealistic expectations on those around me. You say, well, to me, they're not unrealistic. <laughs> you don't have to anymore, you're free. You don't need them to fulfill some, un- some expectation for you to be emotionally stable. Because your emotional stability is anchored to who Jesus Christ already says you are. He says you're loved. He says you're complete. He says you're His child. He says you're enough. He declares you to be righteous before an almighty God. That is the good news of the gospel that is given to you when you accept Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. That's why we call it good news. Because it's what it is. It's awesome. And you're free. You're free to bask in the glory of those new realities. To believe the promises that God says to be true. To believe that you are fully loved in Christ and you don't need to run around and every relational interaction trying to suck affection and suck adoration and suck approval and validation because you've already got everything you need available to you in your relationship with Jesus. And now you're free to enter into those relationships. A servant of Christ. To love the unlovable. To serve the unworthy. To humbly walk before arrogance. Because you're emotionally stable and you are loved. And you are cared for. And you have an advocate with the Father. And His name is Jesus Christ. And revenge is his, saith the Lord. He will repay. You are free. You are liberated from your critical spirit. You're free from having to enter into every interaction with a chip on your shoulder. You're free. You don't have to live that way. You're free to serve those who don't deserve your service. You're free to love those who don't deserve your love. You're free to be kind to those who are mean to you because you have everything you need to be emotionally stable in your dynamic, awesome, majestic relationship with the Almighty King of the universe. And in Him, you're complete. You're free. I can now interact with others and you can now interact with others as emotionally healthy human beings. Even when I'm not treated fairly, even when somebody's not fulfilling my rights, even when somebody's not validating my self-worth, even when people are not behaving exactly as I please, even when they're not fulfilling my expectations, I can now interact with others as an emotionally healthy human being. Even in light of the broken, flawed, sinful world we live in. Because I am free no longer shackled to the realities of this old world I am now free in Christ and you based on the realities that are yours in the gospel you too are free in Christ you're free to love you're free to give you're free to serve because everything you need is available to you in your relationship with Jesus are you running to the feet of Jesus are you basking in his grace you don't have to run from problems anymore you don't have to run from conflict anymore you don't have to run from ugly people people in ugly situations if the spirit of God leads you you're now free to interact and engage you can because you're free your soul's been set free these things write we unto you that your joy may be full God wants you to experience joy joy is not found in walking on eggshells and perfectly interacting with everybody around you. That, that's not freedom. That's bondage. You're free. A freedom that brings joy. And fresh, fresh oxygen to your life. Because that relationship that you are dwelling in every day. And every morning you run to that relationship. And every morning you dwell and bask in the glory of who he declares you to be. And it makes you free indeed. Since I can enjoy a fully satisfying relationship with Jesus. Get this. I do not have to navigate my interpersonal connections looking for what I can get out of them. But rather what I can invest into them. It changes the entire way you live your life. I no longer, I no longer I'm not married so what I can get out of it. I'm married for what I can put into it. I don't go to church for what I get out of it. I go to church for what I put into it. I don't have relationships with people because they behave or they meet my expectations or they do things like I want. It doesn't matter. I'm free. (laughs) Emotionally stable. Unconditionally loved. And so I'm free to walk in and you are free to walk into relationships to serve humbly. To love unconditionally. To care for those that don't deserve your care. Because you are now allowing the spirit of Christ to feed and nourish your own heart. And it liberates you to now be the hands, the eyes, and the feet of Christ to those that you interact with on a daily basis. So in conclusion. What does this look like? And why are connection groups so important to this theology? Okay, let me explain this for just a moment. And we'll be done. Poinonia, biblical community. Is cultivated within. Specific environments within the church. When you step into a connection group. And somebody treats you well. They smile at you, they offer you your hand, they make small talk and invite you and invalidate your emotions and they approve and they accept and they acknowledge you. You can thank God that here God brought into your life a conduit of his grace to you and you can praise and honor God for that relationship. However, if you walk in and all of a sudden she doesn't look at you, And he ignores you. And they pretend like you don't even exist. They don't validate you. And you notice that. Oh. That doesn't feel right. It's a reminder. That you once again need to run to the grace of Jesus Christ. And find validation. In who he declares you to be. Even the negative situations. Even the broken circumstances can be used as psychological triggers to remind you that there's still more that you can experience in your relationship with Christ. And so you walk into your group and for three weeks he doesn't talk to you. And all of a sudden the internal dialogue starts going in your subconscious mind. He must not like me. He must disagree with me. He must not think I'm this. He must not. She must say, think that. She must say that about me behind my neck. You're free from that internal dialogue. Because all that moment reveals is that I need to experience something more in my relationship with Christ. There's an emptiness in my own heart that I'm not feeling filling with the grace of God. And so even the negative circumstances that I experience in my connection groups can be conduits of God's glorious rescuing grace to remind me afresh and anew that there's something more I can experience at the throne of grace. And so whether it's a negative circumstance I'm going through at a church or whether it's a positive circumstance I'm going through at a church, I can allow both and see both as conduits of God's grace. Can I say this? Biblical community Will reveal areas where I need to abide more deeply in Christ's love. When you go to connection groups, there will be circumstances that will remind you of specific areas where I more deeply need to experience his affirmation because I'm trying to find affirmation from that person. And I, wait a second, why do I need affirmation from that person? Because there's an emptiness that I'm not allowing the Spirit of Christ to fill. And so even that negative interaction can be a psychological trigger, a spiritual trigger that reminds me of an area where I need to more fully experience what God declares to be so. Biblical community will reveal areas where I need to abide more deeply in Christ's love. So let me say this. God uses biblical community to bring fullness of joy. I want you to imagine a church for a moment. Close your eyes if you need to. Don't close your eyes if you don't. But imagine a church for a moment all looking to God and God alone to be their source of fulfillment, their source of joy. That was not on purpose. (laughs) And seeing others, let me say this again, imagine a church all looking to God. To be their source of fulfillment. They're looking to God. He's my fulfillment. He's where I get my affirmation. He's where I get my validation. He may pour it through conduits of other people, but I look to him for it. Not this person, not that person, not those people. If he chooses to pour it through those people, glory, hallelujah, but I'm looking to him to deliver it from any venue he so chooses. I'm looking to him. Imagine a church all looking to God to be their source of full fulfillment and satisfaction and simply seeing others as people to serve... And to love and to help. We are no longer looking at one another to give us something that only God can provide. I no longer look at this deacon. I no longer look at that church member. I no longer look at this individual to provide me satisfaction and fulfillment. I look to God for that. And I see a group of people that I can serve. That I can love. Even when they're not being lovely. And serve even when they're not meeting my expectations. And care for even when they're not doing it the way I would do it. (laughs) You're free. (laughs) You're free from frustration. You're free from stress. Because you have something greater. And what's greater is found in a dynamic... Abiding relationship with Jesus. And when they do frustrate you and they do just make you upset, and when she does that and he does this, it's a reminder to you of an area of your heart where you need to more deeply bask in the realities that God has already declared to be so, and live in the emotional realities of that truth. That's what that's what God wants to do through these groups. In just a moment, I want you to powerfully and prayerfully consider committing to be a part of a connection group for the next few weeks. And I I mean this. You say, are you trying to get us to be part of a connection group because everybody in that group is going to be awesome toward me and nice and kind and loving? I think a lot of them will, but some of them will be jerks at times. Some of them will come from bad days at work, and it won't be your fault but they just will be and with well intentions they'll say something and it'll come across wrong and they'll communicate something that could be taken one way or taken another way and you'll just be in one of those days where you'll take it the the negative way rather than taking it the positive way because we're flawed human beings and that's what we do don't we and in all that messiness we'll find that there's incredible beauty in the brokenness. See, the world needs everybody to act perfectly, and everybody to behave, and everybody to do exactly as I please, in order for me to be emotionally stable. But see, Christians got something greater. That's nice when, when everybody's doing it the way I like, and I know it's nice when everybody's doing what you want. It, it's really cool, isn't it? <laughs> but you have something better. You can be emotionally stable in your marriage and in your relationships and in your church regardless of what somebody else does because you are free. There's a liberty that you have in Christ because of the overwhelming power and grace that has been given and literally affirmed upon you at the moment of justification that you might not even be aware of and you are free.